0: again on of grateful hearts we thank you for calling every one of us here this is not by accident this is by your design for we know that no one seeks after you apart from your work and the holy spirit in our lives awaking us from death to life Now, lord may you be lifted up as we quite frankly talk about a very direct word that you have for us this morning Please empower me for the purpose of of educating and encouraging the body of Christ. And as always, may it not be me, but may the people hear the words of God coming from my mouth. And all God's people said, "Amen." Amen. Grab a seat. Get your Bibles out, if you would. We'll turn to Matthew 7, 13 to 14. We'll get through these actually I plan to get through these verses today, but as I was preparing this, I realized that we'll get through it today and probably finish it up next week. Matthew 7:13 to 14. Matthew 7:13 to 14. It says this, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. When I was serving in campus ministry, I had the privilege of sharing the gospel with a number of students and I'd walk into, particularly male students, I'd walk into the dorm room and it was a lot of freshmen I was talking to, and I got to recognize them just by seeing them when I first meet them, You know, an 18 year old or 17 year old kid. I walked to this one room and this was an older gentleman and I immediately knew that he was, um, probably served in the armed forces. And I'll never forget walking into this room, this guy was a former Marine, um, know that he was a freshman by class, but he was not a freshman by age. Turns out he was a 21 year old former Marine. He went into the service strat of high school, of course, for what reason? So his country would also to get his education paid for, which is a wise move. Um, so their armed forces was paying for his education. And as we talked about the gospel, I could not get past this second point. Now, you might recognize this um, from any gospel tract that you may see, but it's a simple illustration that man is sinful in need of a Savior. And it was the fact that there's a holy God, right? And there is a sinful man, and this gulf right here is too great for man to bridge that gulf. All these represent different types of effort of man, self-righteousness to reach a holy God. And that was the second point. Of course, the first point was, was that you know, God loves you. you know, he wants to be in a relationship with you. But you're sinful, and that separates you from God. Now, being a Marine, and because the armed forces does teach us, he knew he was a sinner. And he believed that God was holy. But he refused to believe that he could not get to God in heaven through human effort. He said, I'm a Marine. And what do Marines do? I adapt, overcome, find a way. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how many hundreds of college students I talked to. Very few conversations I remember. I remember this one. So I said to this young man, this former Marine, what if you sinful man, and I'm pointing to him in this tract. Sinful man, this is you. You're on one side of the Grand Canyon, and Holy God is on the other side. And the gulf between you and Holy God is one mile. And all you can do is get a running start and jump with as much effort as humanly possible. Can you, a sinful man, reach a Holy God? His reply was, Yes, I will adapt, overcome, and find a way. Can any human being, just through simply running, broad jump one mile? No. And no matter how many different ways I said this to him, okay, the answer was the same. I'm a Marine. I adapt, overcome, I'll find a way. And that was that our gospel conversation was over. As long as this young man was convinced he could reach God through human effort, he was in no position to receive help from God. Okay? Now, this former Marine, to me, is a snapshot of humanity that has been tricked by Satan to place their faith in their own self righteousness and their own self righteous works to enter heaven. It's the same delusional thinking that plagued the Pharisees. I don't know if you remember this, but Jesus summed it up best in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It says that he told this parable, and this was the reason why he told this parable, to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They trusted themselves that they were righteous, i.e., they can live a good enough life to gain entrance into heaven. The last week, I told you that at this point in his sermon on the mount, Jesus is calling for a decision, and in the mind of Jesus, the decision is clear-cut. There are only two choices: the narrow gate and the narrow way, or the wide gate and the wide way. There are no other alternatives. Now, to our 21st century minds, we're tempted to think, "Well, how can Jesus be so clear-cut?" on the issue of religion when there are so many other religions out there that claim to be the way to heaven now if you seriously logically just stop and think about it there really only are two options there's the true and the false right now jesus tells us to enter by the narrow gate it's therefore important for us to understand exactly this is for you john what the two gates are, so we can choose the narrow gate. Now, the question is this. Look at that. Answer it. What are the two gates? Now, again, remember that throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is contrasting true religion and his standards and false religion, which is the religion of man and their standards, what their standards require, what their religion requires. Now, I want you to understand this, though. That the contrast that Jesus presents, and please hear me on this, it's with the contrast between two kinds of religion that both have roads marked with a sign that say, this way to heaven. So both gates say what? This way to heaven. But the truth is, while both signs promise heaven, one sign points to a road that ends in hell." Now the popular lie, fed to the world by Satan, is called religious pluralism. Those of you like me that I understand what that means, that maybe I might need to know exactly what that means, it simply means this, that all religions lead to God in heaven. That's what the world says. And I thought, let me make it even more clear-cut. So I created this chart that will distinguish between the two gates. And I hope you can see that. It's just pretty simple. The narrow gate is the way of Christianity. It is the way of divine achievement. God earns. Does all work to get you to heaven. It's divine righteousness. You have to be as righteous as God is. So he gives you his righteousness. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21. We only enter heaven by God's grace. Grace isn't something you say over, over a meal. All right, it's unmerited favor. It's a favor of God. And it's, you enter by faith. But the wide gate, that is every other world religion. So Buddhism, Hinduism, secular humanism, atheism, Catholicism, Judaism. Every other world religion is the wide gate. And they all say the same thing. You can get there on your own. That's human achievement. You earn your way to heaven. Therefore, it's it's not divine righteousness. It is self-righteousness. You enter heaven by human effort, and of course it's done by works. So those are the two gates that Jesus is talking about when he says, enter by the the narrow gate. He introduces two gates, the narrow gate and the wide gate. But for our purposes, we want to answer this question, how do we enter by the narrow gate, right? I mean, how do I enter heaven? Because that's what he says. He says, enter this gate. doesn't say enter the, the wide gate, enter the narrow gate. Now, to answer this question, and it is the most important question, is our Lord presents four contrasts. Look at that. What are the four contrasts in this verse? Well, the first contrast is between two gates. There's a narrow gate and a wide gate. That's all we'll get through this morning. But let's take a closer look at the narrow gate. Jesus says to enter by the narrow gate. Now, just hold on here for a minute, but the verb enter is in the aorist tense. Now, you see, well, okay, Pastor, I hate it when you do that. You get all specific things about the one language and so on but you need to understand this what does that mean the aorist tense because it's important well in the greek language the aorist tense it's a, means simple past tense so whenever i say aorist tense remember that it means simple past tense so in other words you could translate jesus command to enter as enter by the narrow gate yesterday because it's what past tense Simple past tense. Now, what does that mean? Well, he's implying there's a sense of urgency. Okay? So he's saying, enter by the narrow gate, and he's saying, do it urgently. Now, when I think of urgency, for some reason, my mind goes back to the movie The Shawshank Redemption. Have you ever seen that movie? Anybody seen the movie The Shawshank Redemption? Yeah. When the main character, Andy Dufresne, he escapes from Shawshank prison. Do you remember the scene? where the warden is in, is notified, and he's brought to Andy Dufresne's cell. And Andy's not there, he was there last night. He wasn't there in the morning. And so the warden yells this out. I want him found, not tomorrow, not after breakfast, now. I sometimes do with my kids, if I tell them to do something they don't do it, finally <laughs> I'll say, I want it done, not yesterday, I want it done now. Don't do it tomorrow. Don't do it in in three seconds from now. Do it now. They're getting the point that I'm out of patience. There's a sense of urgency. And so Jesus is calling for an urgent action. In other words, he's saying, make your decision now. Don't put this decision off. Do it now. Now, I think the reason why he's saying that is that the temptation... His audience must avoid, and this is a decision, or this is a temptation that we all, including us in this room, all must avoid this. The temptation is this, to simply be impressed by the sermon. It's great you're taking notes. It doesn't mean anything if you don't do anything with it. You're in Matthew 7. Look at verses 28 and 29. This is a reaction of the people to Jesus. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Now, unfortunately for most of his audience, this is exactly what happened. They were amazed at his teaching, but there is no mention of what? Any response to it. And I tell you folks, hell will be filled with people who are impressed by the teachings of Jesus but did nothing about it. Amen. They did nothing about it. Now, I guess today we would say this. I would say this to you and every pastor would probably say this to you. Don't say to the pastor as you're walking out, leaving, walking out of church, don't say to the pastor, what a powerful sermon, and they do nothing about it. that's what he's saying here so the first point is how do we enter by the narrow gate the first point is we enter urgently we enter urgently this is a command to enter okay it's an imperative now the second point is that we enter by the narrow gate now even though Jesus mentions two gates a narrow gate and a wide gate he tells us to only enter by the narrow gate see that? In other words, when I drive home from Enumclaw, Ron, you probably recognize this, after hiking Mount Peak, I take Route 164. And on the way home, there's a small sign welcoming you to Auburn. And that sign says something like this, Welcome to Auburn, an inclusive community. Okay? Now, we all know, if you don't know, you should know what inclusive means. But Christianity is also an inclusive faith. Revelation 22, 17 says, Whosoever will, it is inclusive. While at the same time, it is an exclusive faith. You must come to God on his terms. And what are his terms? Well, Acts 4, 12 says this, There is no salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John fourteen six, John 10, 7 and 8. Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate of the sheep. All who have ever come before me were thieves and robbers. 1 Timothy 2, 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So there's no other name, no other way, no other gate, no other mediator than Christ and Christ alone. The gate is that narrow and it is that exclusive. And you enter by the narrow gate. Third, you enter the narrow gate individually. Now, there's no we here, by the way, by design. It's the word you. If you start the term narrow... Many commentators conclude that the best expression of this word in a contemporary way or contemporary sense would be a turnstile. That's what it means, a turnstile. Only one person can go through a turnstile at once, right? Now for the Jew, what was the popular belief at the time? Well, since Abraham was their ancestor, they thought they were automatically in the kingdom. And John the Baptist says this in Luke 3.8. Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. In other words, I'm descended descendant of Abraham, I'm good. He says, for I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. It's not enough for you to claim your Abrahamic ancestry. Today we would say, it's not enough to be born into a Christian family, or to grow up in the church. You don't come into the kingdom in groups. Pretty simple. You come in in an individual act of faith. Okay? Fourth, and this is where we'll spend most of our time, and this is will probably be new to to most of you, is that you enter with great difficulty. Now, they said last week, um, this may be a new revelation. Because what you have heard is this, that getting saved is easy. You hear the gospel, maybe you walk down the aisle in a church or a conference, you recite a prayer, and you believe. You're in. It's that easy. The problem is that when all is said and done, that most likely that person is on the wrong road. They went through the wide gate. Jesus is telling us that it is very difficult to be saved. And this was his message. He never presented an easy way to be saved. Now some of you might be thinking, well, I never heard that. To that I say, shame on you, not studying your Bible, but more importantly, shame on the leadership for not teaching this. Do you remember Jesus' conversation with the rich young ruler? Do you remember that? The rich young ruler walked away from the kingdom, and of him Jesus said this, Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to what? Go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, that blew away the disciples. It says when the disciples, verse 25, in Matthew 19, 24 and 25, heard this as they were very astonished. They thought that this rich young ruler had it made because he obviously was blessed because he was wealthy. They thought it was kind of easy. And they didn't ask this question, "Who then can be saved?" And this has always been the case. Who then can be saved, if not this, this man? Look at Matthew 7:14 again. Look at Matthew 7:14. "For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So regarding the narrow gate and the narrow way, Jesus says that those who find it are few. Now this implies, number one, that you must be looking for the narrow gate in the narrow way. understand me? You've got to be searching, looking. And that's always been the case in the Bible. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah 29 and 13, you will seek me and find me when? When you seek me with all your heart. It's not easy, folks. It's not a cheap grace. It's not an easy believism. Well, what is easy believism? Well, it's an intellectual agreement to a set of beliefs, but no life change. In other words, I'll give an intellectual nod to, yeah, I like what Christianity says and so on, but it's not really going to change my life. There's no transformation. That's easy believism. That's the wide gate. That's the broad way. Jesus said it's a hard way. Let me take it a step further. I want everybody to turn to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. I'll wait till everybody gets there. Luke chapter 13. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now this will also, remember last week's sermon, the focus on numbers that in the church growth model that you've seen? Look at this. Luke 13, verses 22 and 23 and 24. And he was passing through from one city and village to another, this means Jesus, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? So Jesus going through the cities and villages, teaching on his way toward Jerusalem, and as a result of his ministry, this is God himself, folks. Keep this in mind. It was apparent to the people who were with him that not everybody was responding as they thought they should. And so one of them said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? I mean, obviously, it was this person's observation that not many people responded to Jesus. Jesus. You see that? Now look at his response. Look at verse 24. He said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Does he answer the question, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? Well, no, he doesn't answer it, does he? But it's clear what his answer is by what he says in verse 23. Or verse 24, excuse me. The answer is yes. Just a few are being saved. Just a few are being saved. Now his response in verse 24 tells us why just a few are being saved. And the why tells us that his answer was implied. Yes, just a few are being saved. Let me say it again. Just a few are being saved. So these churches that are entertaining and fiercely working to, and there are a lot of churches, some of you came up to me and said, I've been to those type of churches. They're filled with people. There's absolutely no life of God in there, and there are these big numbers. It's a numbers game. Well, why? Why are a few being saved? Well, he says strive. You must strive. The word strive is the Greek word agnizomeo, from which we get the word to agonize. Agonize. It's agony to enter the narrow door or the narrow gate. Have you ever been in agony before? Is it fun? It's it's hard. It's used in First Corinthians, the same word is used in First Corinthians nine twenty five, of an athlete agonizing to win a victory. It says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we are imperishable. So even in, to receive a perishable wreath, these, the exercise, the agony that these athletes go through, it's used of laboring fervently in Colossians 4.12. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling in On your behalf in his prayers. He's agonizing as he's praying for the Colossians. That you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. It's also used used the word fighting in 1 Timothy 6.12. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you are called. And about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So, our Lord is saying this it's an agonizing, fervent, laboring fight that is required to enter his kingdom. And there are many, as opposed to the few, who will sink to enter in, but won't be able because when they find out the price that you've got to strive to enter, they're not willing to pay. So, they walk away. See, you don't become a Christian. By way of some easy path. In fact, you've got to enter the kingdom violently. Matthew eleven twelve. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And what? Violent men take it by force. So there's almost a violent fight to force your way into the kingdom. And again it says, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. I mean, you must force your way into the kingdom. That's far different from hearing the gospel, feeling called, walking down an aisle, saying a prayer, and believing a set of beliefs, and you walk away assured of your salvation, and that's pretty much it. I mean, that has been the approach in the revivalist meetings, right? Now, Jesus also promised this, by the way, tribulation in this world, John 16, And this was the experience of Paul and Barnabas as they encouraged the disciples. To strengthen the souls of the disciples, encourage them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God, Acts 14, 22. Through many tribulations, we enter the kingdom of God. It is never easy to become a Christian because in doing so, folks, you declare war on hell. And all of hell declares war against you. All of Satan's demonic forces and even Satan himself declares war against you. And all of your sinful flesh declares war against you. Now, this is probably not what you heard when responding to the gospel, was it? But this is what Jesus said. The kingdom is for those who seek with all their hearts. The kingdom is for those who strive to enter it, agonizing, laboring fervently, fighting. The kingdom is for those who violently force their way in. The kingdom is for those who endure tribulations. Now, I just showed you verses that tell us how hard it is to enter by the narrow gate. But Jesus had already showed us this in his Sermon on the Mount. what do you mean? Well, listen, the kingdom is for those who agonize over their spiritual bankruptcy. That's chapter 5, verse 3. Whose hearts are shattered over their sinfulness, verse 4. Who mourn in meekness before God, verse 5. Who hunger and thirst for a divine righteousness. That's verse 6. And being satisfied, then long for God to change their lives. That's verses 7 to 9. The kingdom is for those who will be persecuted, insulted, and slandered. Verses 10 and 11 of chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Are called with living out a righteousness that exceeds that of scribes and Pharisees. That's verse 20. Who love their enemies and pray for those who persecute them. That's verse 44. Who are not hypercritical. But they practice righteous judgments. That's chapter 7. Who love others as they themselves would want to be loved. I mean, kingdom living is hard because it clashes with our sinful nature. Then the world pushes against you, and then the demonic forces are pushing against you. So it's not for people who come along and want Jesus without any alteration to their living. I can't believe I did this we had so many issues this morning with all the stuff that was going out here and with we had issues with Frank and, and David spent basically twelve hours almost here. We had to put in a new internet system, right? Our stuff was that old and outdated. And I could not get the printer to work. I was behind and stuff. I forgot to put this picture in. But I had a great picture that would show you what it means to agonize an agonizing struggle is illustrated by this picture. I would show it to you, but it's too small, but I have it right here. Do you remember the flights out of Afghanistan? Do you remember the flights out of Afghanistan? Remember the one flight where the people are running along that that plane? It was a picture of a U.S. Air Force C-17 transport plane leaving Afghanistan. What were the people doing? Grabbing, hanging on, and even took off, and some people fell to their death. Okay? They're desperately holding on as that plane begins to lift off. And I thought figuratively and literally, that plane, that picture, put it in your mind. That symbolizes salvation for these people. Because some of them were dying, would be physically dead. And they're so desperate, their people were handing over their children to the armed forces to get them out of Afghanistan. I mean, that's someone, a picture of, of striving to go somewhere. You're striving to enter the narrow gate. So you enter with great difficulty. Fifth, you enter empty-handed, and this is hard too. You can't go through a turnstile with luggage. Can you? No. Now, no one in the picture of the C-17 transport. Remember that picture, plane? Were they carrying anything? So the narrow gate is a gate of self-denial. You strip off all of self your self-righteousness, and your sin, and you let it fall out of your hands, or guess what? You don't go through the gate. I mean, Jesus said this, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must what? Deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And Jesus tells the story of a man who would not deny himself. He refused to go through the gate empty-handed. Just listen to this story. You know what it is. It's the story of the rich young ruler again. A ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. The rich young ruler, this rich young ruler, he had self-righteousness in one hand and riches in the other. And he wasn't willing to put in the work of self-denial, agonizing over sin, and the letting go of the pleasures of this world, that is necessary to enter through the narrow gate he came seeking but he went away in sorrow so you must enter empty-handed you must enter repentantly and mark 1 14 and 15 it said this after john had been taken to custody jesus came into galilee preaching the gospel of god and saying what the time is fulfilled i'm starting my ministry Here's my message. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. There must be a turning from sin and a turning to God. Charles Spurgeon said this, you and your sins must separate or you and your God will never come together. No one sin may you keep they must all be given up. So number six, you know, we enter repentantly. Number seven, we enter in utter surrender to Christ. I don't believe salvation is addition. Do you understand what I mean by that? You add Jesus Christ to your already sinful lifestyle. Salvation is Transformation. And obedience is a characteristic. It says this in John 8, 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. You will hold to it. You will cling to it. You will obey what he says. The 54% of Americans who call themselves notional Christians, you remember that from last week? That's over half of the American who call themselves Christians, these notional Christians, They do not hold a biblical worldview. They're showing no signs of obedience in their life. They may think they are a Christian, but what gate did they go through? The wide gate. And they're on the wrong road. Sure, the road was marked what? Heaven. And sure, it may have even been marked Jesus. But it isn't the right road, it isn't a narrow gate. Now, in contrast, there is a wide gate. It is obvious. The wide gaze that that the world offers with all its false religions, the secular humanism, atheism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Catholicism, Judaism, etc., 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 is the gate the former Marine walked through who trusts in his self righteousness. It is the gate of human achievement. And how do you enter this gate? Well, you enter casually on your own leisure. You enter with everybody else, because it's all-inclusive, right? There are no membership requirements. And you don't have to enter individually because you just follow the crowd, and it's a large crowd. You enter comfortably since manageable effort is all that's required. And you enter with self-indulgence, when I mean, your hands are full of all your immoral baggage through this gate. And you enter without a changed life, because in that gate, hypocrisy is the hallmark, the telltale sign. And you enter in utter surrender to self, with no commitment to Jesus as Lord. And finally, you must enter urgently, you must enter the narrow gate, you must enter individually, you must enter with difficulty, you must enter empty-handed... You must enter repentantly, and you must enter in utter surrender to Christ, and you must enter by counting the cost. I mean, who in the world would respond to what I am telling you this morning? Just listen to this in Luke 14, 25, and 33. We will develop this idea in greater detail next week, but Jesus' point is clear. Just listen to this. Now, large crowds were going along with him, and why did he have large crowds, by the way? Because of his miracles. He turned all you know, the water to wine so the drunks were following him. <laughs> he took, what five loaves of fish or seven loaves of fish and bread and, and fed 5,000, or actually 20,000 people. Great welfare state. I'm in. Let's follow this guy. These large crowds are following him and he Turned and said to them, Wow, I am blessed. Look at this large church I have. No, this is what he says to them. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. coming against him with 20,000 or else while the offer is while the other is still far away he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace so then none of you maybe 20,000 people are following him none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions you must be willing this is his point you must be willing to live a crucified life to say no to everything all of your most treasured possessions. And what are they in this text? The most important relationships. The relationship with your parents. Relationship with your spouse. Relationship with your children. Relationship with your brothers and sisters. You give all that up. And then you give up your most treasured possession. Which is your own life. You're be willing to give all of that up. If you're not willing to give up those possessions, guess what? You can't enter the narrow gate. The price is that high. So, guess what? It only makes sense. You better count the cost. But since the price is that high, why would anyone enter by the narrow gate? I mean, who in their right mind would want to live that kind of life? But you know why you do it? Because you get the kingdom, you get comfort. You get to inherit the earth. You find satisfaction. You get mercy. You get to see God face to face. You get to be called a son or a daughter of God. You get the promise of answered prayer. You get the promise of provision in this life and life to come. You get a worry-free life. I mean, I can go on and on and on. So enter by the narrow gate. I'm telling you, folks, it's worth the price of admission. It's expensive, but it's worth it. I had hoped to get through the way and the crowds and all that, but like this is taking up it. This is it. I'm done. That's the gate. Now you try preaching that message to people. You take that message to some of these mega churches and what's going to happen? I mean, you got to make disciples, and this is what it means to follow him. And it's not a popular message. And so I want to I mean, if you're here this point, you haven't made the decision to follow Christ, enter by the narrow gate. I mean, it's just fascinating how we do it the opposite of the way Jesus did it. And I guess that, I'm assuming that for some of you, this is the first time you're hearing this. Maybe you've, you've read it before, but it's never really registered. I, mean, I kind of recognize it, but boy, you put it this way, and he does this over and over and over again. This is the message, folks. This is the gospel. This is what it requires. Yeah, it's all by faith, but if mean, you got to agonize over your sinful state and, and, and die to yourself, I can't earn God's favor. I am so sinful. I'm humbled before a holy God, and I need a righteousness of my own, other than my own, and I am crying out to God for that. That's how you enter the gate, and then you live a changed life. He said to take hold of the eternal life, Paul said to Timothy. What do you mean? I have eternal life. I prayed the prayer. I'm good. That's not the message. Because once you get to the gate, guess what? There's a narrow way. A narrow road. And it means we'll talk next week, it's a compressed road. You can't go off to the left or to the right. It's hard, he said. It's the hard way. And so we make it so so easy and too easy to become a believer. That's what I was raised in, which is why when I got into leadership in the church, I started start to experience pain. It was hard, like something strange was happening to me. My gosh, how often have I read these in the Bible? I've read verses about tribulation, slandering, and betrayals, and so on. I never experienced it. But you go through it, and, you're, and all of a sudden those verses mean something. Well, this is what it means to live this life. And you've got to get through it. If you walk away, then it means you were never really genuinely saved to begin with.